Again, as we gather on Sunday mornings, you know, it's my heart that, that each Sunday morning is unique in the way that, um, you know, that, that God would, would speak to each one of you uniquely. We do things in our service to try to promote connection and worship, but none of that stuff can we manufacture. And really, it's, it's up to you to, to seek the Lord, to make that connection with God. And the Bible says, Jesus said that if you seek me, you will find me. And so, you know, I encourage each one of us as you, you know, experience your Sunday and the rest of your week, that, that what you get in is what you put out. And that, and that if you desire a, a voice from God, if you desire a word from the Lord, having a, a heart to seek God, to be open to that, you know, it changes, again, how you worship. And, you know, you, you may come in and say, oh, well, the worship is flat and it didn't touch me or the message was, was boring or this or that. But, you know, honestly, oftentimes it's, it's not the quality of the music or the message it's the condition of your heart that you brought in and, and your desire to connect and seek the Lord. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to make a couple of announcements as you're turning in your Bibles. Um, hey, Saturday at 9 a.m. is our spring cleaning day. Um, Diane and Matt, you guys know Matt and Diane? Okay. They're kind of hel- heading this up. So if you want to just show up, you can. If you'd like to talk to them. Um, if you plan on being here, maybe touch base with them. Um, but Saturday, 9 a.m., I get that right? 9 a.m. Um, I don't know. We have enough vacuums. Do we need to buy a vacuum? Or... Okay, we need to borrow one from them? Okay. Yeah, all right. I was just saying, maybe if you have a really nice vacuum that you want to bring and leave here, then, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, do that, or if you have your own little cleaning kit, you can bring that. Uh, we have a few construction projects as well, so if you're a guy and you want to come help do some construction projects, uh, we can we can put you to work with Matt, helping me and doing some things with that. So uh, that's Saturday, 9 a.m., um, probably be here a couple hours. I don't think it'll take too terribly long for what we got to do. And then um, uh, Sunday is, or not, not Sunday, Easter Sunday is in two weeks. And every year we, we always try to go big on Easter Sunday as a church, you know, and we used to do the sunrise services in the parking lot and it was a lot of fun, you know, sunrise was great and, but it's just, Utah's so unpredictable and it's so cold and it was so hard on the worship team trying to play the instruments that, you know, freezing cold and their fingers don't work and so last year we, or the year before, last year, we just ended up bringing it all inside, one service, 10 o'clock, um, so that's kind of where we are this year. We did a big breakfast a couple years ago. It was a lot of fun. We'll probably end up going back to that. But this year, we'll just call it Coronavirus Easter. And just going to be simple. We're going to do a regular service Easter Sunday. But we do encourage that you invite your family. You invite your friends. I'll be sharing the gospel. We'll, we're going to take a break from 2 Corinthians um, for the next two weeks as we go through Palm Sunday next week and then Easter next week. It's nothing new. It's the same message you guys have heard. If you've been here for seven years, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. You know, we don't have to beat it or top it. Um, we're just going to be going through that, but we'll definitely be giving you an invitation and opportunity if you have lost friends or family. You know, because Easter is a great opportunity to invite folks that don't normally come to church. All of the CEOs come to church on Easter. And probably that joke's getting old now. The CEOs are the Christmas and Easter only folks. But they'll come out, and they'll especially come out if you invite them. If you pick them up, if you encourage them to come, so so please uh, please do that, and uh, and we'll we, we'll promise to give them the gospel. The worship team has prepared a special worship set for you guys, so it should be a good Sunday. But just again, one service, 10 a.m. We're going to add some more chairs between now and then. We'll do that on spring cleaning next week, 
um, we took out 70 chairs um, in March of last year, or when we opened back up, we took out 70 chairs, and it looks like we're getting to the point now where we have to start putting some of those chairs back. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, and then ladies, um, one more study before a, before a break for um, Easter. So you guys have Tuesday, 630, and then the following Tuesday, I'll announce next week, is going to have a one-week break for Easter vacation. And then youth group, you guys have marched just right through, um, 7 p.m. on Wednesday night for youth group. Amen? Any questions, concerns, comments? All right. Again, if you have your Bibles, open them up for Second uh, Corinthians. Chapter 10. Let me set this up just a little bit. We're going to completely change directions in chapter 10 from where we have just come. In 7 and 8, or I'm sorry, 8 and 9, Paul's been talking a lot about money. And then we get to 10, and all of a sudden there's just this complete change of venue. In, in the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. In um, the first and second epistle, Paul writes that he wrote another letter that we don't know what happened to that other letter. Some people say that maybe this is the other letter because it's so different from where Paul has went. Let's take a look at it. I got a tickle, you guys, that I can't get rid of. I, I got one of those. I got one. I gotta try that. I think I swallowed a hair. TMI? <laughs> what good's that gonna do? <laughs> I'll say that. We got the mask mandate's gonna end on April 10th, right? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody been to the store and had somebody say something to you and just say, April 10th is coming, you know, might as well just go for it now, but. All right, so hey, check it out. Four reasons why Paul writes um, 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is kind of a different, right, pull out, but four things we've been talking about. Let's go over them really quickly as we set this up. They all start with E, but the four reasons is Paul um, first was to explain you remember as we, we began 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul was defending himself and he was explaining why he didn't come when it was time to come and when they thought what he said he was going to come and he didn't come. And then he, we, we went through that for a couple chapters. And then the second thing Paul writes to the, to the Corinthians here in the second epistle is to encourage. And he's encouraging them. Do you remember that young man who had fallen into sin and he had slept with his, his mother-in-law or his dad's new wife and and the church was accepting it. And then Paul said, kick him out. And they kicked him out. And the guy repented. And he wanted to come back. And they said, no, Paul told us to kick you out. we got to kick you out. And Paul's encouraging him, saying, no, don't receive him back now. He's repented. The, the kicking out was to get his heart to come back to God. And his heart has come back to God. So now receive him. And he's encouraging him. And then the third thing was to enlist. And we studied that, that the last two weeks. And that was to enlist this offering. And what was that offering to be done that Paul was receiving? Where was the offering going to go? To the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. Paul was planting churches all over um, Turkey, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey area today. And he was collecting an offering from all the churches that he was going to bring back to Jerusalem. And so then the last um, kind of part where we get in today, again, where it just completely changes directions here in chapters 
10, 11, and 12, where Paul is um, establishing his apostleship, the fourth E, or he's, um, he's defending himself. And you really see kind of gloves off in Corinthians where Paul um, has to defend who he is and, and his ministry. And, you know, Paul goes through all of the trials and the struggles and the hard things that he went through as a minister of the gospel. And, and you don't see that in, in the other epistles, but it was necessary in this epistle because, you know, there were these um, called second in or ambulance chasers that were coming in. And they, they really went everywhere that Paul went, but really bad in Corinthians where he would come in and Paul would start a church and the church would grow. And, and, and then they would come in behind Paul after he left because they didn't want to go out and, and it was hard to go out and start their own churches and their own work and, and find their own people. And we see that today. Where, where folks don't just go somewhere that's hard and somewhere that needs a, a church. They go to somewhere like San Diego where there's a church on every corner and they, they plant a church across the street from a big church and, and they just try to catch the folks. They actually had at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, the big, you know, big Calvary Chapel. Folks would come and put flyers on the car in the parking lot inviting them to their churches they were planting down the street. Can you imagine going out to your car today and there's a flyer on your church inviting you, flyer on your car inviting you to a church next door. And so these, these, these folks were coming in behind Paul. They were introducing the law. We oftentimes call them the Judaizers. And they were telling people they had to, you know, the, and they were just attacking Paul. We're going to see where they attacked him personally. They attacked his physical being, his stature, his, 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 um, who he was and his apostleship. And so in this, in this setting, it's necessary that Paul defends himself and who he is as an apostle. And so that's kind of where we're going to get. He's talking and he's going to talk... Um, very kind of harsh and, and, and to the point to these um, second ambulance chasers. You know, we again, again, we get them in the church today. We get them all over the place. You know, the nice thing when we planted Tooele Springs Calvary Chapel is that it was, you know, there was nobody else doing what we were doing. You know, and so within the family of Calvary, it, you know, it doesn't really make sense to plant a Calvary across the street from Calvary. Like they don't build a Walmart across the street from Walmart, right? It doesn't make any sense. I told that to somebody, and they said, well, they do plan a target across the street from Walmart. And I said, yeah, that actually makes sense because they're, they're doing you know, different things. And so it's not like you have to be the only or the first church in the area because other churches were here when we got here. But nobody was doing exactly what we're doing in the flavor of teaching through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Everybody here in our county had a little different flavor. We came to a place where there were no Calvary chapels. They had a radio here and no Calvary chapels. But, you know, sometimes people don't want to do that. I want to go where it's hard. Go to Detroit. You know, in Detroit, there's, it's, it's falling apart, but they need churches. And they, they need Bible teaching churches. But instead of going to a place that's, that's difficult, too many times as we plant churches, we, we end up going to a place where there's already a lot of churches that are doing good stuff. You know, we want to have, when we plant churches and we send pastors out, in, um, what we call an 80-20 model. In any church plant, you're going to get a percentage of people that are already saved, that went to a different church in your area, and God called them on, God moved them, that's healthy, that's normal, that happens. There's a reason why some of you that are sitting in these chairs today, God may call you to another local area church at some point, and God bless you. When God calls you, you go, you be a blessing there, and you serve. You never want to be more of a blessing gone than you were here. And so, you know, and you don't have to hate us to, to go. If God calls you, then that, there's, a, there's a part of, of, of that that's healthy. Now, sometimes when, you, when people are hopping churches all the time because they're mad at the church they left, that, that's, that's a problem in the church as well. I had one pastor, you know, had a, I would never be bold enough to say this, 
but if somebody had left another church, they got mad at the pastor and they came to his church and he said, really, there's only one thing that leaves the body and attaches itself to another body. Yeah, and the guy's like, what's that? He's like, a disease. <laughs> yeah, I would never say that to anybody. But So, so you have 20%, again, that, that that's part of healthy. And then 80%, you want to be new believers, unchurched folks, folks that you know that you go out, you're evangelizing, you're reaching the... The, the, the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, and so it's been really nice as we planted our church here in Tooele, you know, we were able to have the 80-20 model the right way and the good side, and we see so many folks that were unchurched and didn't have a home and, you know, got saved while we were here, and so it's, it's been a huge blessing. One of the huge blessings about being in a place that's difficult, you know, Lydia and I, with, with the training that God had given us, we could have went to San Diego eight years ago and planted a church and probably been a church three times the size today. But again, it would have been an 80-20 church just the wrong way. 80% of the people would have been in another church the week before down the street and just switched over to, to ours. But it's, it's much better, right, it's that we want to plant where, where we're seeing salvation and people get saved and it's new believers and converts, amen? So these folks weren't doing that, again. And they were coming, they were coming after, they were chasing Paul, they were trying to um, take the fruit that Paul was establishing and grow. So Paul's going to deal with them. That's why I spent some time with that. Chapter uh, 10, verse 1. There it is again. <laughs> it's still bugging me, but I'm trying to work through it. Something ain't right. You guys praying for me? I repent of my sin. Just kidding. I did that already. Now I, Paul, verse 1, now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You remember what Jesus said? He said, take my yoke upon you. My burden is, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For I am, anybody? Meek and lowly. In the, in the King James, he said, I am uh, meek and lowly. In the New King James, it says that he is humble and, and meek. And so really the only self-description that Jesus gives of himself in the Bible. And so Paul says here, that I'm pleading with you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. These, these two qualities of Christ in meekness and gentleness that I can come to you and resolve these problems. Like, let's sit down and talk about these things. Let's figure these things out. Let's not have it get ugly. Now, now they're going to say that Paul was weak in these things. But you guys, um, I want you to remember that Paul could, if he needed to, get ugly. Paul, Paul had the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And you remember in Acts chapter 13? And Paul's preaching to that pro-council. He's like the mayor, the governor. His name was, was Bar-Jesus. And there was another guy there that was a detractor, and he was coming against everything that Paul said. And, and the guy that Paul was preaching to, it says, was eventually he became a believer, but he was listening and he was hearing. And, and the other guy was like, you know, fighting him and combating him. Remember what Paul did? He looked at the guy and, and he said, you know, you son of the devil. He said, by this time you will, you will, you will experience blindness in, in part for a time. And it says the guy went blind and he looked for someone to lead him by the hand. So, I mean, Paul will look at you and say, hey, be blind. God will take your sight. And here he's saying, you know, I don't want to deal with um, harshly with you guys. I want to come in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And really, that's the way we always want to come, right? And he says, but I beg you that when I am present, I may not be. Everybody say not be. Not be bold with that confidence in which I intend to be bold against some. And he said, I will be, I can be, I intend to be bold with some. There's a time, there's a time in the ministry when you have to be bold 
when you have to be harsh or, or, or real with somebody, you know, in the area that these guys were guilty of, of causing division, it has to be dealt with in our churches. You know, and we have folks that are causing division and sowing seeds of discord because the Bible says God hates those that sow seeds of discord. And how many of you guys, what, do you want to be on the side of things that God hates? No. You know, again, so, you know, you have to deal with those things. You have to come and, you know, and sometimes given the opportunity of how people receive it, we'll always come gentle and meek in the beginning. Always come with the heart of restoration. And, and if people won't receive it, then, then you know, there's a time where you, you just have to be bold. And Paul says, that's not my heart. I don't want to have to be bold with that confidence, which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as we walk according to the flesh. For we walk in the flesh. We do not war against the flesh. So at the end of verse 2 there, Paul says, if we walk, at, they're, they're, this is what they were saying, um, that we walked according to the, to the flesh. Look at verse 10. It says, for his letters, they say, are weighty. Now, this um, verse 2, the end is the same thing. Paul is dealing with things that they were saying. He, he lays it out in verse 10, they say, but this is in the same context that they were saying, Paul's in the flesh. What does that mean? That means that Paul wasn't being led by the Holy Spirit and that he was doing ministry out of his own mind and his own heart. And listen, the key to life and especially ministry is to be led by what? Led by the Holy Spirit in your lives. You guys make decisions every day. And, and, and the decisions that you make, pray to God that you make those based on the will and the, of, of the Holy Spirit, right? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Somebody cuts you off in, the, in traffic, you got two, two choices of reaction. You can react in the flesh and tell them they're number one. Or you can just rub your ears and say a silent prayer for them. You know, how, how, do, you, how do you control how you react, whether you react in the flesh in the situation in a day-to-day um, life situation? Part of it is being prepared spiritually each day. As you get up, as you seek God, as you spend time in your devos, Lord, help me today to react in the Spirit. Lord, help me today to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Because our flesh is going to get us in all kinds of trouble. And, and we need to be prayed up and prepared and, and seeking God to help us walk in, the flesh, or walk in the Spirit every day. And it's a battle. It's a battle we'll fight until the day Jesus comes back. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I, I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do, I don't want to do. And not to do, to do, to do. Romans chapter 7 that we war against the flesh and against the spirit. And here again, they're accusing Paul. This guy's in his flesh. He's acting in his flesh. And Paul says, no, I'm not in the flesh. Can't do ministry the way Paul did in the flesh. You can't tell somebody to, you know, that's bugging you to be blind. You remember the woman who, the young gal, um, and Paul cast the demons out of her? She was, she was, you know, following Paul again. And Paul was um, preaching the gospel and he was sharing everywhere she went. He was just... And, and Paul finally looked at her and he stopped and he cast the demons out of her. And then it says um, in verse number three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Everybody say war according to the flesh. Hey, do you realize that the problems that you face in this life, they're not physical problems, they're spiritual problems? When I was... Um, Right before I became a Christian, two years prior to getting saved, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church. I had a little experience in seventh and eighth grade because a neighbor friend of mine um, was a Christian, the one Christian family that I knew. I had an aunt also who was praying for me, but 
Um, she never really, oh, she did later, take me to church once or twice. But I didn't really have any church growing up other than that experience I had in junior high. By the time I was 18, I was in bondage to the lifestyle of no Jesus, of um, drugs and alcohol. And it was getting progressively worse uh, at about 17. I started experimenting with drugs I had not previously tried. And by the time I was 20, I was fully addicted to some pretty hard drugs and um, was and thankfully, by the grace of God, the, the run that I had in this particular lane didn't last very long. I know some folks that have been in it for a long time, but, um, you know, I can remember growing up and I can remember being in this position. And every time I got deeper and deeper into this, this sin, I, I didn't want to go any further. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do this. And, you know, I, I got eight brothers and sisters. Um, nobody above me had graduated high school before me. And, um, you know, and I watched being a young kid. Being my brother's 20 years older than me, and so you know when I'm seven, he's 17, and and at seven you don't have those temptations. But I got to watch my brothers and sisters, my oldest brother, who's 15 years older than me. I, I found him um, overdosing on heroin when I was about 10 years old. Uh, he was trying to commit suicide with heroin, and and we kind of knew it, and everybody went out neighborhoods looking for him, and. Um, I was the one that found him. We called the ambulance, and, and he survived by the grace of God. But these experiences were, were in, my, in my mind. And I can remember, again, being 7, 8, 10, 11 years old, not doing anything, not having any of those temptations, saying to myself that I want to be different. I don't want to grow up into the same mold that I've watched um, destroy my brothers and sisters' lives. And, and I'm never going to be who they, what they are. And I'm never going to do heroin. I'm never going to do those things that they've done. I'm never going to live that life. And then um, slowly but surely, about 14 or 15, I dabbled in something that turned into something else. And then 17, I entered into something else that turned into something else. And by 20 years old, I'm completely um, in bondage to a lifestyle that I didn't want to live. And the entire time... I kept trying to stop. I kept saying, I've, I've always said I don't want to be that person. I grew up knowing that, that I was going to be the first one in my family that was going to be different. It was going to be the first one in my family that was going to graduate high school. And I tried for years and years and years to stop, to stop. I, wanted, I desperately didn't want to become that person. And every time I tried to stop, I was getting worse and worse and worse. And, and, and by the grace of God, when I was 20 years old, I asked Jesus in my heart. It was miraculous, my, my particular salvation. Because I got saved alone in my room watching TV. I never went to church. And so God was like, well, I can't get him in a church. But I guess I have to bring church into his house. And I was watching a little 13-inch TV in my bedroom at 20 years old. I, you know, I, I can leave this detail out, but I'll tell it anyways. Um, I was playing, this would have been 1994, March of 1994. And I was playing Sega Genesis. That was our that was our video game at the time. You know, some of the older folks chuckled. The younger people like, "What's that? Is that like Xbox?" Yeah, that was like my Xbox. We, we graduated from Nintendo though. But um, I was playing Madden '92. Richard Dent coming off the or not, yeah coming off the end. Um, and, and so in those days, your TV had to be on channel three for to be the input to play the video game. That's the way it worked. And then they had your TV on channel 3 and your video game would work. Now you just change the input. So anyways, I'm on channel 3. I turn the video game off and I change the channel to channel 4. And, and the channel skips all the way to channel 8 in my TV in L.A. And channel 8 was like some weird like KCET. We had 2, 4, 5, 7, 
9, 11, 13, no 8. And, 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 the, and the, the, the TV just jumps to channel 8. And I'm like, and there's a preacher on the, on the TV. The Holy Spirit's like, no, here, try this channel. And there was a preacher on the TV by the name of Dr. Charles Stanley. And I, and I start listening to the, and I'm not, I'm not in a position in life and I, or in anywhere I'd care to hear what a preacher had to say on TV. And, and I always, I always got to warn everybody when I tell this story because 90% of the, of the preaching that's on TV is the faith and prosperity gospel and it's trash. But this particular program is a good program. Dr. Charles Stanley is an amazing, amazing Bible teacher and he's got a great ministry. And I happened to, you know, God brought me to that one. And it was the beginning of his, of his Sunday service, his message, and I'm watching it. And, and, and he begins to speak exactly into the situation of my life. Now, if I wasn't sitting in a living room seven states away or in a bedroom seven states away, if I was in the auditorium, I would have wanted to punch him afterwards. Like, Who told you about me? How did you just you aim that whole sermon right at me? Everything you said was exactly my life. How did you know all that about me? Couldn't have known anything about me. His message was pre-recorded, but it was talking directly to my heart, specifically everything. And about 10 minutes in, I began to cry. And I probably cried through the last 20 minutes of the message. And at the very end, he said, do you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? Pray this prayer with me. And he led me in a sinner's prayer. And alone in my room at 20 years old, I said the same exact prayer I said in eighth grade when I went to that little church because a pastor at the Iwana group in eighth grade asked me if I wanted to ask Jesus in my heart. And I said yes and prayed the prayer, but I didn't want to surrender my life to God. And I didn't get saved in eighth grade. You, you could say the prayer. I lead you guys in the prayer every Sunday. And I oftentimes tell you the prayer doesn't save you. It's the condition of your heart that saves you. It's the surrender of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ that saves you. And so in eighth grade, I said the same exact words and I didn't get saved and my life turned into a complete mess. At 20 years old, by the grace of God, the same words, the same prayer. This time my heart was saying, God, help me. God, deliver me. And I fully surrendered my heart and life to Jesus, and I became born again. And this particular verse was, was one of the first verses that was very near and dear to me, because at that point, I realized that the battle I was fighting was not a battle that could be fought with, with carnal weapons, that I needed to be fighting with spiritual weapons to win this fight. And I had tried from the time I was 13 years old to be somebody different and to break the mold and I ended up going down the same path everybody did because I didn't have the right weapons. I had weapons of the flesh and, and I didn't have spiritual weapons that I needed, weapons of the Word of God, of prayer, of intimacy, of relationship, of fellowship with God and His people in church. And, and once I understood the battle I was fighting was a spiritual battle, not a carnal battle, I began to get victory in Jesus' name. And so I tell you, the battles that you're fighting, they're, they're spiritual. And if you're struggling with something, if you're going through something, if you're, um, if you're not having victory, maybe, maybe, just maybe we're not fighting with the right weapons. And, may, and maybe the weapons that, that we need to begin to fight with are weapons of spiritual weapons, of prayer and the Word of God and of fellowship and of, and of um, all the things of relationship with Jesus and being intimate and knowing Jesus on a personal, on a daily, and an intimate basis. You know, I had a lot of friends, multiple times, multiple times. I had um, friends that were not Christians that, that I grew up with call me at some point and say, Chris, how did you get off drugs? They were still on them. They were still struggling. And they said, how did, how did you do it? How did you get clean? 
and, and they were in the same fight that I was in. They had been trying by themselves to get clean and wanted to get clean but couldn't and, and, and weren't having victory and reached out to me and said, what did you do? How did you do it? And I can remember being as sincere as I knew how to be and being green in the Lord and in my faith and I would tell them all the same thing, Jesus. And, and later, you know, as, as I, I thought, maybe that's true. That's so true. It was. It's Jesus. But, but maybe I can explain that better to folks. Maybe I can, you know, help them, you know, put this, this in practice if I can come up with just a better answer than Jesus. But that was my answer. It was Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And oftentimes they didn't understand it and they didn't want nothing to do with Jesus, some of them. You know, or, or here's the case. And here's the case even in our church. I'm going to talk about this in the next couple of verses. So I want to be careful. I don't get ahead of myself. But, you know, even in our church, I talk to folks that, you know, when you tell them that Jesus is the answer, spiritual weapon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. But I, I need something else. I need I need I need some secular counseling. I, I need I need a, a rehab program. Nothing wrong with rehab programs. Sometimes we do need them. But we don't we, we don't need secular rehab programs. We got nothing for them. You know. Counseling. You end up in counseling somewhere. Nine times out of ten, you know what counseling is, secular counseling is? Prescription. And, and, and again, a secular counselor who doesn't know and love Jesus has no answers. They're very good at diagnosing a problem. They have no, no power to solve a problem. They can tell you, oh, you're manic, depressive, you've got PTSD from this and that, and we can identify it back to this point. And, and, and what, what, what secular counseling does at its very best is um, it teaches you how to compartmentalize and how to hide. My aunt, my aunt Sharon was attached. She owned a, a fish and tackle store in San Pedro, California. She was an LAPD um, officer. Her and my uncle both worked for the LAPD for 35 years, and they owned a little fish and tackle store right off Penn on Gaffey in, in San Pedro. She was coming out of the Rusty Hook one night, and she was getting into her car, and, and, and in the mirror of her car, as she sat into her car, by the grace of God, she seen a, a gentleman behind her, and he was swinging a hammer at her head. And she put her hand up like this, and that hammer hit her arm instead of the top of her head, and it shattered her arm into, into many pieces, saved her life. The guy robbed her, took her money, and for the next 20 years or so, she went to counseling. And what the counselor did was he taught her how to take this traumatic event and to put it up in the attic in a place in her heart, in her life, in her mind where she wouldn't encounter it and it wouldn't cause PTSD and trauma and stress because you, you, you and it took lots of years of counseling. And I, I said 20, I, you know, I don't know exactly how many years, but lots of money, lots of years of counseling and um, to deal with this. And, and, and it was effective in taking this issue and hiding it in a place in her, in her life, in her attic, in her mind where she wouldn't come across it. As long as you don't come across those emotions and those feelings, then, then you're fine. You won't, you'll, have, you'll live day-to-day life. But here's what the counseling can't do. Maybe it can be effective in that, but one day, invariably, no matter what, you're not going to be expecting it. You're going to be in the attic looking for something else, dusting some stuff off, and there it is. It's still there. And, it, and it's still as alive and powerful as it was on day one. But here's what Jesus does that's different. Jesus goes into the recess of your heart. He goes to where that, that, that thing resides. And He doesn't teach you how to hide it. He heals it. 
He washes it white as snow. He cleanses it. And, and you may never forget it, but when you come across it, Jesus has healed it and touched it in a way that only God can do. And only God can go down into that depth of your heart and, and heal those things and touch those things. And this is not a, a fight against psychology. I want to be careful in counseling, okay? I want to, I want to preface this by saying I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a case just against don't go to counseling. That's, that's not my place, okay? I will counsel you in this. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, it says it in Joshua chapter 1, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the path of the scornful, but delight yourself in the, in the law of the Lord and, upon, and meditate upon it day and night. But the skinny is, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And so that advice goes across your life to your close friends, to, to any counseling or counselors you think you need to hire. It's unbiblical if you go to somebody who's not a believer in Jesus Christ because it's ungodly counsel. Finding Christian counselors... That's difficult. That's difficult. I think maybe we need to raise up some more of them, and do you know? And, and maybe that's an area where, where God God can 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 use and do some things. But we just got to be careful. And again, I, I'm not trying to bag on anybody's, you know. What I'm trying to do is encourage you, because here, here's here's what this whole talk is about. It's for those who don't believe that they can find victory in Jesus, in the Word of God, and in prayer that they need something else on top of it. Okay? I want to encourage you. And I, know, and I know it's scary. But you can absolutely find victory in Jesus alone. Jesus is enough. I have people tell me. I've had people straight up look at me and tell me. And they ask me about counseling here. And then when I tell them, you know, yeah, we, we do counseling. We, 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 we counsel. It's free. There, you know, there's no charge. It's, it's, it's part of you being a member of our church. You know, uh, we don't do extended counseling periods. We'll do maybe three, four sessions at the most. And um, and I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not I'm not qualified. I'm gonna we're gonna go through the Word of God. We do biblical counseling here, and biblical counseling is somebody that something that every one of you can do. Okay, do you, you guys, you didn't know you're gonna get this when you came this morning, but I can give every one of you right now a degree in counseling. You guys can all be degreed, licensed counselors, biblical counselors when you leave those doors. Okay? Everybody just hold your index finger up to Jesus. Can you guys do that? Okay, if you can do that, hold on, hold it up. I'm going to make the sign of the cross. Chuck, Chuck, Mindu, you're all licensed Christian counselors because if you can point people to Jesus, you can do biblical counseling. And if you find yourself in a place where you don't believe that, that, the, that the weapons of warfare that you need are spiritual in bringing down strongholds, that's a matter of your faith. And, and what happens is liberalism creeps in. And we start to compromise. And we start to say, yes, I know, but I need something else. And so we allow counseling, secular counseling, secular ideas that can um, lead us away from biblical principles in our lives because that we don't have that, that foundation, that belief that God's Word is enough. The Bible says that everything you need for godliness in this life is in the Word of God. Do you believe that? We need more Jesus. You know, I tease sometimes, all the time, actually, I say that, you know, when, when people, if people want to say something bad about me, this is what they say. You know what? 
all you, all you have, you've got nothing. All you have is to tell people, pray more, read your Bible more. Like you say the same thing, just a hundred different ways every Sunday. Pray more, read your Bible more. I'm like, you thought you insulted me, but you just complimented me. And that is the truth. I got lots of frills that are cover up two things that I'm trying to tell you Sunday. Read your Bible more and pray more. Spend time with Jesus every day of your life. Read your Bible and pray every day. You guys want to say it with me? Read your Bible and pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. You'll find victory in Jesus. You'll find victory over drug addiction. You'll find victory over porn addiction. You'll find victory over the things in your life. You press into Jesus, God will give you victory. But let's, let's, let's keep going. I, I said I wasn't going to get it, then I did. But kind of what I already talked about is what we're going to read now, okay? So I went ahead of myself a little bit. Verse 4. So verse 3, I'm just going to read it. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What's a stronghold? What is, let me ask you this, what is the stronghold in your life? What is your besetting struggle? What keeps you from freedom in Jesus? What, what keeps you from really being tight and close to Jesus because you, it plagues your conscience or because you just, you know, those things. Mighty in pulling down strongholds. That's pretty powerful language. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Pastor John Corson, he's one of uh, my personal favorite Bible teachers on the planet. I think he's one of the greatest Bible expositors on the planet. Um, he, he tends to spiritualize sometimes. So I got to be, you know, careful. And some of his stuff is so good, but it's like, I don't know how he got it or where he got it. And, um, but anyways, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Bible teachers. But in this particular passage, he, he, his part of his testimony is that he's looking for this secret um, ingredient, the weapons of warfare, because he's looking for something that's mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And he said, I've attended seminars. I taught seminars on, on trying to find what is this thing? Because how, how awesome would that be if we could put um, a corner on the market, if we could wrap our hands around something that we could give you that was mighty in pulling down an addiction in your life? You're addicted to something in here? We talked about the last couple of weeks. One of the things that's, you know, peaking the meter right now that's plaguing our country and our churches is porn addiction epidemic proportions. Pastor Gerald's teaching through a, a, a freedom from, from bondage, um, porn addiction and addiction uh, uh, curriculum right now. And in this curriculum, he, he said that the curriculum says that 100%, I don't like the term 100, we, let's say 99.5 because I'm sure there's that um, percentage of 14-year-old boys are, 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 expo- are watching porn. And it's everywhere. It's totally different than when I was a kid. And the access to it is now in your pocket everywhere you go. And, and, and it's an epidemic. So again, I don't want to get off point. I don't want to get off point. But if we had something that was, again, a tool that we could use to pull down strongholds, maybe it's drug addiction, you know, maybe it's heroin, whatever it is, a stronghold in your life, that, that would be so good, right? And so um, John was saying that, the, you know, he's constantly looking for what is that? How can we unpack this verse in, in order, what is the key to pulling down those strongholds. And he said, sometimes, you know, how's the expression go? You miss the forest and count of the trees. Miss the trees and count of the forest. And he said, the whole time, he said, I don't teach those seminars anymore. I go through that. He said, because it's right in front of our eyes the whole time. It's the word of God. You have it. 
you have it sitting on your lap, it's Jesus. It's, it's prayer. It's seeking God intimately and personally in your lives. You know the truth about how, you know, that, that day that I asked Jesus in my heart alone in my room, I know that God delivered me that day. I know there was literally a, a bondage that was lifted off of me. And I wish I could say that it was the last time that I was involved in the, in the parts of my lifestyle that were sinful and, and, and bondage before the age of 20. That night in my room, March uh, 1994 was the last time I did those things. It wasn't. I struggled. I, 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 was, I was in the beginning process of getting well. But it took me about six months. And, and, and thankfully, by the grace of God, I stayed in the fight. Now, I know God delivered me. I know I could have walked in that deliverance that night. And, and because of my own lack of character, I, I went back to some of those sins in, in seasons and times and didn't completely walk in the victory that God gave me until about six months later. But during that six months, I fought. I fought in the Spirit. I sought the Lord. I cried out to God. I continued to cry out to God. I continued to ask God to heal me and deliver me and fight. And I fought and I prayed and I, and I, and I read the Word of God and I journaled the Word of God. And, and I was, you know, I was fighting. I was continuing to fight. We've got to fight these weapons. God's given us these weapons, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you just lay your Bible on on the, the, the countertop and you open it up to the Gospel of John and everything goes away. I had, I had a minister tell, tell somebody that one time. They came to me later and they came to him and they said they had some problems with demon possessions and, and spooky things going on. And the minister's advice was take the Bible and open it up to a specific chapter in the Bible and lay it on your counter that they, they don't like that. They're like, what do you think about that, Pastor? I was like, uh, cuckoo. It don't, it don't work by osmosis. Maybe if you pick it up and read it and apply it and, and, you, and you be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. But again, we fight. We fight against these things. We fight in the spirit against these strongholds that are in our lives. And it's nothing magical. We don't need seminars and um, you know, conferences and, and, and doctorate degrees to figure out what this says. This is a promise to you that in Jesus, God will pull down the strongholds in your life. Press into Him. You know, one of the things as a church, you know, I've told you guys, we, we, we're trying to invest as a church in, in mission projects all around the world. And, and we're looking for, over the years, we've been looking for to identify certain areas that we want to give our money to. You know, there's lots of great organizations out there. You know, and as we vet the ones that we're interested on, right off the bat, we want to find and invest in missions and in ministries that are using Jesus as the answer. For example, about four years ago, um, as, a, as a men's group, we decided that we wanted to invest something into the PTSD epidemic. At the time, we had a young man in our, in our church that was going through a scout program. What's the final one where you do your eagle program? Eagle? Eagle Project. He was doing his Eagle Project, and he did it on the PTSD. 22 veterans a day were committing suicide. And so we want to be a part of, of, of investing somewhere in a mission. Now, there was 100 different organizations that were, that were trying to reach out and help these veterans. But, but we keyed in on a particular one called Mighty Oaks Warrior Program out of San Diego that was a program that was bringing these guys in and, and trying to get them saved. 
and giving them Jesus. And, and again, lots of great stuff going on, but we wanted to be a part of something that was using Jesus as the solution because Jesus is the answer. Amen? And then he says um, in verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now again, he says that we're going to um, exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, casting down the, the arguments. Again, you know, I've heard the argument. I've tried that. And I'm, I've tried, you know, I, you just keep saying, oh, read your Bible more. That doesn't work. And, and I, need, I need this. I need that. I need to do this. I need to do that. And Paul says, casting down those arguments. Casting down any, any backlash that you could have that Jesus is not enough in your life. That Jesus is not sufficient. You know, what may... Oh, be careful. Jesus is enough. And again, I'm not, I'm not making any case against any kind of counseling that you think is necessary, but put Jesus first. And then in verse 6 it says, And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so um, so basically this kind of verse here is talking about the church in Corinth being willing to deal with some of these people that were, that were causing division and trouble. And Paul says, you know, you, you needed to be willing to punish to deal with this stuff. Now I'm going to come. I'm going to have to deal with this. But as a church... You should have been willing to deal with the sin in your church. And again, we're, we're not the sin cops here. You know, there, there's places where you go. Um, churches have, I've, I've heard this, this kind of church model before where like you have to get up on stage on Sunday morning and like confess your sins and repent when you've, when you've been in sin. <laughs> what about the pastor? Does he have to do it too? He should, but no, you know, and, I, and I'm sure that, you know, each of us have a degree of, of our own struggles and, and our own sin and in our lives, but as, as those things become, and we're not the sin police, you know, we're, we're, we're to love people. We're not, our job is not to judge people. Jesus said, he'll judge them. You love them. Your job is to love people, to love a God that changes people's lives. But listen, in the church, when the Holy Spirit brings to the surface a certain sin or problem within our church, then we do have to be willing to deal with it. We have to be willing to um, um, try to approach the problem and deal with the problem and not let it go unchecked. Always with the heart of what? Restoration, forgiveness, healing, restoring, repentance. And then the Bible lays out the way that we deal with those things through a, a process of trying to bring somebody to repentance. And if they repent, then then we've accomplished our goal. Hey, give me a couple more minutes, you guys, and then uh, we'll, we'll invite the worship team up and be done. Uh, verse 7 says, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? That's convicting for all of us. Do you judge people based on outward appearance? Of course, we all do, right? Tony's got pink and yellow hair in the front row. I ain't judging him. I love him. I look at his heart, not his hair. Uh, but we do, we have a tendency to, to base judgments on, on people's outward appearance. Um, 
but in, until you get to know somebody, you know one of the things that was, that I just kind of, sorry, parenthetically, I don't got time to do t- rabbit trails right now, but, you know, growing up, my, my brother who was 10 years older than me that, that you know, was, was a bad example growing up, and I followed his footsteps. He's a pastor today, too. He's serving Jesus. He's killing it, man. That guy just crazy in love with Jesus. God's using him in huge ways, and he's a senior pastor at a church, and um, he got saved after I did, um, quite a bit after I did, but uh, I got saved in 94. He got saved in 2004, but God just quickened his call. He's always had a call of God on his life. But one of the things when we were kids, you know, we grew, I grew up in, in, in South L.A., and it was very multiracial, and um, my brother never, um, and my dad died when I was young. And my brother was like my father figure. I didn't have a dad, single mom, eight kids. But my brother always taught me to, to never judge somebody based on their skin color or how they look. Because he looked kind of crazy too. He said, you get to know somebody first. You meet somebody, you learn their heart. But I think we have this tendency. And then he says, one is, um, in verse 7, the second half, one is convinced in himself that he is Christ. Let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. So there's unity. You know, we're this fight over, oh, we're, I'm in Jesus and Paul's not, or Paul's in the flesh and, we, you know, this church is a, of Christ. And, you know, it's like there's, there needs to be unity. And you guys should have dealt with this. And, and it's not this idea. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, God can have 31 flavors. There's different styles and different people, and, and but we're all one in Jesus, and we want to strive for unity. That's ultimately God's will, Psalm uh, says. And then in verse 8 it says, For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us, for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. So the, the boasting is in the, um, in the Lord about Paul's authority and apostles. You know, and not, and not the, the term apostle is used in the Bible of other people that were not one of the 12, but that's a special office because the Bible says that the names of the 12 apostles will be written on the gates of heaven, the foundations of heaven. There's only 12 foundations. There's only 12 people in human history that are in this particular office that Paul was in. And Paul is, again, having to defend it, that he has this authority in his apostleship, but it was for their edification, he said. So his authority was to help them, was to lift them up. He said to them at one point, I'm not here to lord over you or tell you what to do. I'm here to be um, helpers of your joy. And then he says, um, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. So now they're making fun of his very personal attributes. They say that his letters, they're weighty, his bark is loud, but his bite's not vicious. Quote from Snoop Dogg. But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. His bodily presence is weak. You know, the Bible gives us no description of the Apostle Paul. But we do have a letter from the 2nd century that, that actually even has like a sketched out picture and a, and a description of what the Apostle Paul looked like. You could take it or leave it, whether it's true or not, but it's the... That, the, the letter and the actual thing is true, whether it's an accurate description of Paul or not, who knows. But it says that Paul was, was, was small of stature, that he was bold-legged, that, that he had a crooked nose, and that, that his eyes, we know that he had a condition with his eyes. Remember he said he prayed three times that God would heal this condition in his eyes and God never did, that his eyes would pus and water all the time. And, and we definitely know Paul had a, a condition in his eyes. That this, he, he was nerdy, he was Pee Wee Herman looking. 
that he was nothing to behold. And that's what they're saying about him. And that even his speech wasn't great. Paul wasn't a great orator. Do you remember earlier the Corinthian church? You would think the Apostle Paul, as well as he writes, would be the most amazing orator. Like he would come and just preach it. And there's some times where Paul is preaching. But what's fascinating is that they said, you know, they wanted Barnabas better than Paul because Barnabas could come and really, really preach, really lay it down. But Paul was just, you know, and here's so fascinating to me about it. God didn't pick Rico Suave. God didn't pick the most handsome, chiseled person. He picked somebody kind of pear-shaped. <laughs> didn't have the, you know, the most elegant speech. And, and God is, you know, it's so cool because even, you know, we, we can see past that and, and we see the call of God on somebody's life. But God doesn't need perfect people. And the fact that God uses all the way through the Bible so many imperfect people, it gives us hope and encouragement that God can use us all. God can use you. And so Paul was, oh, they said that part of the description says that he had um, an eyebrow that was connected in the middle. I can relate. You know, Pastor Chuck was used, Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel was used mightily by the Lord in the, in the late 60s and 70s. And, and at the time, Chuck was like a 45-year-old, fat, bald guy. He was, you know, wore Hawaiian shirts every day. But it wasn't his outward appearance. It was, it was a call of God that was on his life. You know, we got a young man in Calvary Chapel, Salmon. And the senior pastor left to go to bigger and better things. And he turned this church over to, a, at the time, this 22-year-old unmarried kid named Hagen, Calvary Chapel Salmon. If I was a part of that church, and man, what can this 22-year-old kid teach me? I'm judging him automatically. But now that I've heard this kid preach a couple times, and I've been around him, it would not have taken me long to sit there and realize that I can be fed by this guy. I can be fed in this church because of the Spirit of God that's upon him. Amen? All right, let's have the worship team come on up. We'll close in a song. Um, so Paul was, again, not great of stature, not even great of speech. And then he says, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letter when we are absent, such we will be also be indeed when we are present. You can close your Bibles. We're, we're going to stop in verse 11. We'll give us uh, six verses into 10 next week, and we'll try to do 10 and 11 next week. You know, these chapters are just like Paul, again, defending himself. And I was thinking, man, this would be a good time to pick up a chapter or two and, and really get going. I thought maybe, oh, I'm just, I kind of prepared the first half of 11 just in case I kind of just kept rolling into 11 and didn't even get through 10. Let's stand together. But I, I think that may not have finished the last six verses. It may have went over a few minutes. But I really believe the heart of what God wanted to share with us today is that, is that God is mighty in, in pulling down strongholds in your life. And that the power of Jesus is effective for everything you need in this life. And that, and that if you are specifically going through a bondage or an addiction or a struggle... That, that, that it is the power of Jesus will set you free. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And you, and you can trust and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and call out to Him. And you have to fight. You've got to dig in. And you've got to cry out to God and continue to fight. 
And when you struggle, ask forgiveness and continue to fight. And when you struggle and when you fall, get on your knees and ask God to forgive you and get up and continue to fight. And every time you fall and you struggle and the devil comes and says, God doesn't want nothing to do with you. You're a hypocrite. Don't go to church. You just tell the devil, that's a lie. That's condemnation. And there is no, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if it's conviction of the Holy Spirit that's drawing you close to God, you, you, you press into that and you respond. But the power of God's Holy Spirit can deliver you from whatever you're going through, and it's all you need. Pray more. Seek Jesus. Press in. Begin to fight. Begin to have this conversation with God. Begin to tell God. Begin to reveal to God. Confess to God. And press into the Lord in your life, and God can and will deliver you. Amen? Now, again, I, I'm not trying to... We can, we can, we can start strumming. I'm going to pray in a second. I'm not trying to disqualify anything, any other help outside of that or anything else. Jesus first. You know, you know, like what they're doing at our home church, my home church, um, my pastor, Pastor Gerald, he's teaching a specific class right now. Um, I forget the name of the class. I said it a couple weeks ago. It's a warrior program or something that's specifically designed for folks who are struggling with some a little extra help. Now, the class itself is, is Jesus. It's just Jesus in an unpacked way to help people. Those things are good. Those things are good. Those things are okay. But it's Jesus ultimately. Amen? And then let's close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're in here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus and you'd like to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior, I want you just to raise your hand up so I can see it and you can put it back down so I know who I'm praying for. Is there anybody? There's a hand over there. You can put it down. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody in the back? You want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior. I see you. Anybody else? All right. One more back there. I see you. And then for the rest of you, maybe you're going through something that's a bondage in your life and you're asking God to deliver you and heal you. I want to encourage you to continue to ask God to deliver you and heal you. Continue to press into the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life through prayer and the Word of God, through fellowship, through reaching out, through asking for help, talking to other brothers and sisters, coming to church, going to Bible studies, doing the things that you're doing, and really on a daily basis seeking Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Will everybody pray out loud with me? Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you. Now let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for everybody in here. God, I pray for those that may be in, in a bondage or, or struggling that, that need the pulling down of strongholds. I pray, Father, that right now by the power of your Spirit, you would pull down those strongholds and deliver. And God, that people would feel this deliverance. They would know, God, it's over their lives. I pray, God, that as, as a people, we would fight and we would press into Jesus where the answers are, where the solutions are, where the power is. And God, other things that the world has to offer can help, but they don't heal. They don't have the power of God. And Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And only where the Holy Spirit can go in the recess of our hearts and lives and touch those things in Jesus' name. Amen.